Welcome to MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the truth behind medical research with unbiased, evidence-proven facts, powered by Encore Research Group and hosted by cardiologist and top medical researcher, Dr. Michael Corrin. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Corrin, hosting our second in our series on advanced lipid profiles with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Al Lopez. And we've been talking about what, in fact, an advanced lipid profile is and how this can now perhaps be applied to taking better care of our patients. But we left our last session talking about what we like to call the really, 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 really bad cholesterol, and that's lipoprotein little a. And both Al and I have been very involved in clinical research on this particular problem. So Al, just, let's just brief everybody, give, a, give them an overview of what LP little a is, lipoprotein little a is. So LP little a is a protein that um, is genetically mediated. So it it's, goes from family to family and affects one in five people globally, but it can be passed down to half of your children. Um, so it's autosomal dominant inheritance. Correct. So if, if a parent has it, there's a 50-50 chance that a child will have it. This is correct. It's a very bad actor because unfortunately, up until recently, we didn't have anything to really treat it with. Nothing really worked yeah, yeah. effectively. We know that diet and exercise didn't really change LP little a. Not at all. How about statins? Statins actually may increase it, but the amount that it raises is fairly insignificant, and it doesn't really make you Well, it certainly anymore. doesn't help. It doesn't help, but it doesn't, theoretically, in, in the scheme of things, it's, it's insignificant. And in fairness, just to be, uh, to be fair, it does lower other lipid problems, so it reduces overall risk right. of somebody with high LPA, but it doesn't change LPA in of itself. Well, it's true, and you know what I kind of explain to patients is it's almost like taking metal as a substrate. If you take metal out of salty water, it's not going to rust. You know, so th there's less, you have many ways to get um, arterial disease or right. vascular disease. Right. And LDL is probably the biggest one that we can fix and probably the biggest one we have. LPLA is a very, very bad actor. Right. Um, but if you can get rid of one variable, then get rid of it, please. And that's an important point is that we haven't focused as much on LPA as we might have otherwise because we didn't have any way specifically to treat that lipoprotein. So we just treated other lipoproteins more aggressively. So Great. A good way to just Agreed. think about it. Anyhow, so getting jumping back into LPA, are there different types of LPA? There are. There are different isoforms. Um, some are much more atherogenic or plaque-producing than others. We're working on trying to figure those out. We also know that the isoforms that are more atherogenic if they become oxidized, we make them more atherogenic. So mm -hmm. if we, as we talked about in the last segment, oxidize LDL, um, it was an interesting research project, again, at University of uh, Southern California, that if, if we oxidize LDL, it may actually activate, I guess that's a bad term, but activate LP little a mm -hmm. to be more plaque-producing and more atherogenic. And LP little a actually has LDL in it. It's, it's sort of LDL plus. Right. Plus, plus, plus. Yeah, and I think we, we have a slide or a picture of what an LPA molecule looks like. And you have this uh, squiggly part on the outside of the lipoprotein core. And that's the part that probably determines how dangerous the molecule is. Yeah, and it's, it's a bad actor. You know, it's, it's pro-clotting or pro-thrombotic. It increases the risk of uh, vascular disease, whether it's carotid, heart, or in the legs and peripheral vascular disease. Um, we know that it increases aortic stenosis at a young age, so yeah. that valve tightens very quickly. Yeah, interestingly, 
in Caucasians, but not African-Americans. Yeah. It's a, a very, very interesting genetic element is African-Americans have a pretty high incidence of LPA compared to other races, but they don't get aortic stenosis for some reason. And it's pro-inflammatory. So it sets up that whole pro-inflammatory cascade, which is just as dangerous as high LDL is. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's important to know as well. Right. And so what, what's a dangerous level of LPA? You know, we're thinking probably over 100 definitively, but there's some data showing 50 to 75 is probably significant that you want to pay attention and, to it. And just explain the whole unit controversy, people, because 100 is a little bit different depending on the units. Yeah. So we can look at it two different ways from millimole to deciliter or milligrams to deciliter. And unfortunately, labs do it different ways. And we're trying to find a uniform standard of measuring that unit. Right. Um, and sticking to that. So it, we're all speaking the same language. Sure. An abnormal lipoprotein little a level would be considered greater than 30 milligrams per deciliter or greater than 75 nanomoles per liter. Yeah. And it's interesting because you can't calculate from one to the other very well. It, there isn't a great formula to calculate that and make, make it. So you can't convert it. Yeah. It, it's, it, it doesn't yeah. work well. So you have if you have levels and a genetic risk, then certainly you get worried. But what's been your clinical observation of LPA? Does everybody with a high LPA have problems or is, is there some heterogeneity to that? No, it's that's what really makes it very interesting and we really need to continue the research on it, that just because you have high LPA, and I have several patients with very high LPA, 200, 300, 350, and there's no sign of cardiovascular disease. We've done quiet ultrasounds with them. They're wide open. Um, this woman had a chest pain and she had a stress test and stress test, she blew it away. She went back in, had a catheterization. She had wide open coronaries, well, minimal disease anyway. And her lipid profile wasn't that bad. I got her LDL from uh, over 175 down to um, below 70 at this time um, with lifestyle changes, but actually she's on a statin, which made a big difference. Sure. So what can we do about LPA? <laughs> That's the bugaboo. We have two drugs that we now have that we're researching, and we know that it drops them markedly, um, 90% it seems. Yeah, two drugs in late-stage clinical trials. Late-stage a, clinical trials. A bunch in early trials. Yeah. yeah. And they're long-term studies, so there's several-year studies looking at outcomes as well and seeing if we actually can reduce the event rate, not just lower the number, right? So lowering number is one thing, that's great, but if it doesn't change event rate, Correct. you know, why bother? And, and you're personally involved in these studies. Yes, I'm a, as you are a personal investigator, and it's, um, it's been a long-time passion of mine looking at this LP little a, and now very excited to be part of a um, research team, um, hopefully making a change in that. Now, these drugs do lower LPA, right? They do, yeah. markedly. Like ninety percent plus, yeah, yeah. We are looking at some other things. We do know that there's other drugs that also lower LP little a. Um, if I may, PCSK nines will do that. Um, yeah, not as well. Not um, as well. About twenty eight to twenty four to thirty two percent somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's not marketed and it doesn't have an indication for that. So, yeah. so PCSK nine drugs work great on LDL cholesterol. Yep, and they work by increasing the effectiveness of the LDL receptor. Actually, they increase the density of the LDL receptor in hepatocytes and literally squeeze cholesterol out of the circulation. And we don't know why they work for LPA though, because the, we don't think that LPA is removed from the body through the LDL receptor. No, and you know, as a side, they're also anti-inflammatory. So 
you know, when they initially did the study on it, they showed inflammatory markers all came down markedly, as well as ApoB. For, for the PCSK9s? For the PCSK9s, yeah. but yet we don't have an indication for that. So it may do it, but you can't write it for that. Sure, sure. So you're kind of stuck, you yeah. know. Um, but if you have high LDL and have a high LP little a and you're on a PCSK9, it'll give you some reduction. Not as much as we want, but some reduction. And then we also have the small interfering RNAs. And I'd like you to talk about that because you were the first author on the first paper on silencing RNA, dropping LPLA like 95% yeah, or so yeah, in nature. Yeah, uh, it was in nature medicine. Yeah, thank you for, thank you for the plug. <laughs> but in any event, um, we have these technologies now. These are gene-regulating technologies, whether it be an ASO, an antisense oligo oligonucleotide, or a small inter interfering RNA, are both ways of regulating gene expression. And by regulating gene expression, we're able to knock down these levels by 90% or more. It's really impressive. You know, this is, the older I get, the more we get into everyday science fiction. Stuff we read about as mm -hmm. kids are actually happening today. So, you know, this was a fantasy when we were younger to think that we could do something like this. And now right. we're able to do this in medicine and, and in science. And every day, it's pretty yeah, it's incredible. Pretty, it's pretty impressive. So, yeah, the... Those two types of products are in late-stage clinical trials, looking at whether or not they'll affect the outcomes, as you point out. But we're also working with companies that are earlier in the process, and it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if anybody can come up with a solution that involves a pill. And people are certainly working on that in early-stage ideas at this point. It's an interesting concept. You know, if you go back to 2002 articles up to a year ago, 2023 articles, there's many articles that show that irrespective of how low you bring LDL. Um, and again, that number, how low you get to, changes every so many years, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a limbo contest. It has it gets lower and lower and lower every year. But irrespective of how low you bring it down and, and with optimal treatment, there's still a percentage of people that if you don't look at advanced lipid, um, that you're not going to find their hidden risk right. for a cardiovascular disease. So the, the take-home message is if you're listening to this and you have an LPA problem, the current drugs on the market will get you down 25% uh, at best. Yeah. But if you get involved in a clinical trial, you may get that LPA down to 10% uh, what it was or even less. So something to think about. And we are actively involved in, in clinical research. The other little pearl is that some people, when you put them on statins, their LDL isn't affected that much. And you wonder what the heck's going on and what could it be? So they're probably using an older methodology of looking at um, their lipid profile, and that includes LP little a. And so that LDL, when you're measuring it, they're measuring LP little a with LDL. And if it's not lowering, you're not lowering the LP little a because statins don't lower LP little a, they raise it. So those statin intolerant, as far as not lowering or statin. Um, yeah. So, so some of the LDL may actually be LPA. Yeah. It's and, LP little a. Unless you're measuring the LDL directly, yeah. you're not going to get the, that information. So that's immediately should be a light bulb in the back here saying, you know, maybe I do have elevated LP little a. There's two camps now that, you know, we should only screen high risk patients for LP little a. I'm of the camp that I think everybody should be screened for LP little a. And at a younger age, better. And right. so in Europe, they're starting to do that in certain countries, you know, looking at um, young adults, early teenagers, and, and even kids, and looking at their LPLA levels to try to mitigate that risk over time. Right. And so uh, we, we started our last session talking about advanced lipid profiles and why they're important. 
And part of that uh, discussion about measuring lipids is this concept of direct versus indirect measurement of LDL. And obviously, if you're direct, if you're measuring LDL directly, you don't run into this problem with overlap with LPA. And so explain to people what that means, the difference between direct and indirect. So when you're measuring indirect LDL, there was originally the the formula was done by a 1975, six Friedewald formula, which was never intended to screen the average person for cholesterol. It was intended to screen for people that were heterozygous hypercholesterolemic patients, so people with high, high cholesterols. Um, and it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't give you an accurate LDL because it's predicated on a fasting, fasting lab draw and it's calculated off of a triglyceride level. And it's also an estimate. So it's, yeah, it's a guesstimate. So you're right, estimating you're not, an estimate. Exactly. You're not actually measuring LDL. Yeah. You're measuring, just so everybody knows out there, you're measuring total cholesterol, which we're good at. You're subtracting HDL, and then you're subtracting triglyceride-rich particles using sort of a, you know, a, a, a very loose argument that that number should be triglycerides divided by five. So I'm not of the camp that every single person needs a direct LDL, but I think that there's a huge number of patients that do need a direct LDL, people with high triglycerides, people that are not fasting. You know, if they're not doing their labs and I have them in the office and it's two in the afternoon, they ate, it doesn't really matter. I'll, I'll measure a direct LDL on them as part, and then do the lipid profile and maybe an advanced lipid profile if indicated. So I'll, I can get a direct LDL and know what they are, whether, irrespective if they're fasting or not. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, the, the technology for direct LDL measurements is also getting better. So now there, there are analyzers and chemical assays for direct LDL. It used to be you have to go through what's called ultra-centrification, where you have to spin right. this down, and, and we call that also beta quantification. And that was a pretty expensive process. But I think it's, it's – how much is it now for direct LDL? Direct LDL, I think it's like $25, $30. Yeah, That's it. Yeah. I mean, it probably is even cheaper than that. Yeah, it used to be a couple yeah. hundred bucks. So. Yeah. And it's actually – you know, if you have the right code – you know, if you have cardiovascular disease or hypertension, I don't know why hypertension, but hypertension, or you have high triglycerides, then direct LDL is acceptable. Okay. Um, so, it, you know, you can get it paid for at that point. And so those advanced lipid profiles really aren't, and direct LDLs are not that expensive anymore and are very, very, very well covered. Beautiful. Well, we're going to now move into the clinical space for our next session and really talk about real patients and how we might deal with them. Thanks for joining the MedEvidence Podcast. To learn more, head over to medevidence.com or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform.